Our gospel lesson for today, the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First to be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with them, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. How many parents out there? Remember playing hide-and-seek with your kids when they're little. I was really good at hiding when my kids were little because they were not very observant. I can remember times playing hide-and-seek when I would run in the bathroom and I would jump up on the sink right next to the door and I'd basically be standing like this. And they would run in and look around and run right back out again. They didn't see a thing. As they got older, they got more observant. Hiding got harder. Now, I think about hide-and-seek. Some of you may recall this. When we had the high school group going on here a few years ago, the kids and I would play hide-and-seek here in the church. And I know all the good spots. I know all the good spots. But the high school kids are observant, and they were starting to figure them out. And this one time, I found, I discovered, the best hiding spot in this church possible. Now, if you've ever been downstairs in the Sunday school wing, you know there is this little wooden altar down there. And it's about a li- just a little bit wider than this pulpit. It stands about this tall, and it's, I don't know, a couple of feet deep. And I'd walked by that thing countless times, never thought anything about it. But this one evening, I was looking for a place to hide, 
And I looked at that thing, and I, wonder, I, I went, huh, I wonder if that'll even move. And so I moved it. And it was heavy, but you could move it. And I discovered the back that is always pushed up against the wall is open. The thing's hollow. <gasps> and so, being the weird guy that I am, I crawled inside it, and I, like, shoved it back up against the wall, and it was the best hiding spot ever. For approximately half an hour, I was in the, I was in a box, and I could hear the kids walking by. Where is he? Did he leave? Is he still in the church? And I was like biting my finger to keep from laughing because I just thought it was funny. And finally, after like half an hour of basically like being all scrunched up, I'm like, I don't want to sit in here anymore. And so I, I don't know exactly why, but for some reason, I wanted the kids to see where I was. So I intentionally waited until I heard them come back into the room, and I pushed out from the wall, and I emerged, and they're like, oh. But here's the thing. Now they knew where that spot was, and I couldn't hide anymore. That's the idea. I want you to kind of tuck that in the back of your head, this idea I can't hide anymore. And let's get into our, our passage for today. So for the last several weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, this long teaching of Jesus that, uh, that starts here in chapter 5. And as, as we see with any extended teaching of Jesus, one thing kind of leads into another. Now, the way that the lectionary works, of course, we break it up into short passages, and that includes what we've had today. But one thing really leads to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the next. So to get into this, we got to back up. The Sermon on the Mount starts with Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the crowd that's gathered around him. He starts with the section known as the Beatitudes. We had that a couple of weeks ago. Blessed are these types of people. Blessed are the ones that have been marginalized for whatever reason. Blessed are, blessed are you when this is the situation. Blessed are you when this is the situation. And he ends it by zeroing in on that focus. Blessed are you. He wants his audience to know that they are blessed because God says so. Now, from there, he moves into this, this spot that we had last week, if you happen to catch it, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and for some reason, I zeroed in on cats last week. That was weird. We won't worry about that, but you are these things. And then Jesus kind of switches gears, and then he starts talking about the idea of righteousness. Last week's passage, the verse immediately preceding what we read today Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes or the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That verse leads into where we're at today. Now, Jesus shifts gears once more, and I believe that he is beginning to explain why that passage was so important when he's talking about righteousness. Now, righteousness is being called right in the eyes of God, being being good in the eyes of God, or God calling us righteous. That's really the more important thing. And so now he starts to talk about the law. Now, for his audience at that time, his audience would have been mostly Jewish. They would have been very, very familiar with the law. Now, the law starts with the Ten Commandments, but it also expands from there. And when Jay was reading the lessons earlier, the first lesson was out of Deuteronomy. When we hear Moses say, I, I set before you these laws, these commandments, and give you the option to choose life. That's all this whole great big thing. Now, you guys think I'm long-winded. Moses talks for like 50 chapters. It's pretty long. But there's all of this stuff. 
that is expounding on how do we live in a way that is right before God. Now let's think about the Ten Commandments, because that's really where this all starts from. Now the Ten Commandments, if you've heard me talk about it before, they're aimed at our relationship with one another and our relationship with God, how to live in harmony with one another and how to live in harmony with God. Now, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard, and, and, and some of the commandments are pretty spot-on easy. For instance, number five, you shall not commit murder. No-brainer, right? Can we all agree on that? Murder is bad? Anyone shakes their head no, you and me are going to have a chat. Lincoln, don't, no, no. <laughs> Murder is bad. When we talk about that in the confirmation class, we then begin to dig deeper, and we see that Jesus is digging deeper to show us that it's not just about the physical action. Like we hear in this passage, Jesus says, those who commit murder are liable to judgment. But then he goes on and he says, if you've ever been angry with your brother or sister, you are liable to judgment. Huh? It's the same exact thing, and this is where, the, where I always joke with the confirmation kids just a little bit. Hey, have you ever gotten mad at your brother or sister? Yep, guess what? You just killed them. And we laugh. It's not funny, but we laugh about it, and we make a joke about it, and it usually becomes an ongoing thing. But that is an example of how much deeper this brokenness, this sin, the, the fulfillment of the law, whatever we want to call it, it shows us how deep it goes. Don't commit murder. Don't get angry. Don't call someone foolish. I don't know about you. I break that one by the time I've been out of bed for about five minutes every day. But it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, Jesus goes on, and in the other portions that I read, and then as things go on, he continues to talk about these different things. You have heard it said this, but I tell you it's also this. And we begin to see how much we cannot pull it off. The depths that brokenness is in a part of every single one of us. And maybe we begin to see, I can't hide anymore. That was quite the reaction. <laughs> the truth of the gospel the truth that I think Jesus proclaims to us over and over and over, the truth of the scriptures, the truth that I believe God knows about our existence is that life is messy and we are messy and no matter how hard we try, we don't pull it off. We can't fulfill righteousness by our efforts, by our deeds. And I think we all know that, right? In our tradition, every single week, what's basically the first thing we do after we sing. We do the brief order of confession and forgiveness. And we announce corporately together, we acknowledge the truth that we have sinned against God in our thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We can't get away from it. But it's our human nature to try and hide it anyway, isn't it? Think back to Genesis chapter 3, one of my favorite stories of the Bible. Shouldn't be, but it is the fall. We've got Adam and Eve, and they are set up in this wonderful garden, and they've got one rule. Don't eat that fruit. And it takes them about 45 seconds to go ahead and eat that fruit. And then shame enters in. 
And they know that they're naked, so they sew themselves clothes. And then God comes into the garden, and what's the first thing they do? They hide. As if they could actually hide from God. I always picture this in my head, God walking around, where are you? They come out. Why did you hide? And Adam says, we knew that we were naked, and we were ashamed. And God says, who told you you were naked? Why do you hide? Did you eat that fruit that I told you not to eat? And now that they can't hide behind that truth anymore, Adam does the next thing where we try and hide, and he throws somebody else under the bus. Well, Eve gave me the fruit, so I ate it. Nice job, Adam. And then Eve does the same thing. Well, the serpent told me it would be okay, so I ate it. If we can't hide from the truth, we'll try and dodge it. It's what we do. It's human nature. Because we don't want to deal with the consequences. We don't want to deal with the fact that we fail, that we fall short, that we let someone down. Do any of us like that feeling? No. (laughs) Got some good audience participation going on today. Here's the truth that the gospel reminds us of. The gospel is honest that we can't pull it off, that we can't achieve righteousness on our own. And the gospel says you don't have to because God has bestowed it upon you. I don't know how it works. I really wish I did. I really wish I could explain it. It would make my job a whole lot easier. But somehow through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God has overcome the brokenness that is a part of every single one of us. And the gospel says you don't have to hide. In fact, there's freedom in not hiding. There's a scene in a movie came out a few years ago, I think illustrates this spectacularly. The movie is Flight, had Denzel Washington in it. You might remember it. I don't know, it's six, seven years ago. Denzel plays an airline pilot who somehow does something that no airplane would ever actually do. And he avoids a crash by making it do this weird loop-de-loop thing which is amazing, but then you find out he was drunk when he did it. And he's an alcoholic. And the whole rest of the movie, spoilers, is they're trying to get to the bottom of what was going on, and he is trying to avoid consequences at every turn. And finally, in the middle of a trial, he can't hide it anymore. And he says, I was drunk flying that plane. He says, you know what, I'm drunk right now. And then it flash forward last scene of the movie, he's in jail because there's consequences. And he's sitting around talking to some of the other inmates, and he says, I may be in jail, but for the first time in my life, I'm free. Because he has spoken the truth. He's not hiding anymore. The truth of this gospel that we profess, this gospel that we cling to in our darkest moments is that God loves you And God has overcome that brokenness on your behalf. None of us are perfect people. So why the hell do we act like we are? I'm a broken, flawed person. So are each one of you. But God loves you, and God claims you. God says, you are mine. Maybe that's what Jesus is getting at every single time in this passage when he says, you have heard it said, you're not good enough. 
But I say to you, you are mine. Amen.